morning. I was hoping this was going to be light. It is. It looked heavy. I was thinking, hmm, get a hernia and preach. There you go. But good morning. Y'all doing all right? How are you doing? This is one of those mornings where I have more to ask you than to tell you. So the sermon's on you this morning a little bit. We're going to Luke chapter 5, if you want to head that direction. Question, how do you like where you're at? However old you are, however far down the trail you have gotten so far, is this where you want to be? You like how it's going? Feel like you're where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing? Spouse is okay, kids are okay, mom and dad are okay, work's okay. Is this where you want to be? Feel like you're on the right track? It goes so fast, you notice this? Those of us who are older know this a little better than some of you who will find it out quicker than you think. I don't know about some of you, about three minutes ago I was 25 years old. <laughs> Went like that. I don't know if you like baseball. I, I heard a story a while back that I just loved because I know the feeling uh, about a guy named Walter Johnson who back in the early 1900s kind of came out of nowhere, old country boy from Idaho. And he became one of the two or three greatest pitchers, by most accounts, in the history of the game. But when he started, nobody ever heard of him. He wasn't one who came up through the ranks blazing a reputation. He came out of nowhere, just this country boy. And he got into his first major league game. Nobody ever seen him, nobody ever heard of him. And the players on the other team were kind of making fun of him because they could tell he was just a big country hick from somewhere out there. And uh, the batter came up, and he was a very good batter. And he came up, the first batter that the pitcher, Walter Johnson, had ever faced in a big league game. And the batter comes up, and he's kind of, <laughs> ready for you, go ahead, give it your best staff. Go ahead, we're ready, we're ready, strike one. What? Strike one. What? He, he never threw anything. Catcher holds up the ball, the umpire says, strike one. The umpire's literally, the batter never saw, saw the pitcher move. He just was standing there, and suddenly there was a ball in the glove. All right, all right, my sugar. Here we go. We're ready. We're ready. Go ahead, anytime you want strike two. What? And he's still got the ball. Umpire said, that's two. Matter looked down at the ball and the catcher's mitt for a minute, and he looked out at the pitcher for a minute. Just tossed the bat toward the players and started walking off. The umpire said, you know, you still got one. The batter said, I don't think I'll be using it. This is right. Life ever seem like that for you? <laughs> Strike two. How'd I get here this quick, right? George Strait had a great country song a couple of years ago, Where Have I Been All My Life? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, 
The thing is, I don't know about you, but I'm still here. The Lord, before he left, said he was going to prepare a place for me, but he left me here, and I'm still here. Whether I'm 5 or 25 or 85 going on 112, whether I'm putting my shoulder to the plow every day or doing my classes or lying in a hospital room counting the minutes, for these minutes, I'm here. So there must be something that I'm preparing as well. There must be something I'm supposed to do because I'm still here. Why am I still here? How do I do whatever I'm here still to do? Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Father, we thank you for the morning, and we thank you for our lives. We thank you that we're here. We pray that we would not miss what you have for us in these moments, in this life. Show us the way. And give us grace to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God. And that's an important background for everything that comes next. People are pressing. We're aware of that. We drove through the traffic to get here. We're aware. We go to the malls. We go to the ball games. We know the crowds are always pressing, but they're pressing to hear the word of the Lord. We underestimate. We deeply underestimate how much, how many all around us every moment want to know a word of the Lord. Not a sermon, not a majestic scripture reading, but they need to hear from the Lord. 
And it's not a coincidence in this case that they're pushing him almost literally back into the lake. And so it says, Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of the boats and were washing their nets. You know what a net is? A net is something you use to ensnare something. It's something that entangles other things. So the fishermen were over trying to cleanse the things that entangle. What entangles you? Life would be really much better if I could just get past my temper, my bad habit, this one relationship, this one temptation that I get. I, I really like that one. <laughs> if it weren't for this one thing that entangles me, now I'd be getting somewhere. I don't know if you've ever watched somebody or if you've ever been with somebody who was untangling the net, volleyball, fishing, or otherwise. It's not a fun thing. It's a painstaking thing, untangling what's gotten ensnared. And that's what these fishermen, including Simon, Peter, were working on. And Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, verse 3, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Why did he get in Simon's boat? Because there were two of them. But he got into Simon's. And there's no record of Simon saying, hey, get in my boat. Come on, come on, this is yours, come on in. Jesus chose which boat he got into. Why did he get into yours? You could take the boat one of two ways. You could take the boat as what belonged to Peter, in which case the question would be, how comfortable is Jesus with your stuff? Is Jesus in what you own? Is he able to accomplish what he wants to do? Is he able to speak his word to hurting hungry people from the things that you possess? Anything that you possess, does Jesus have access to that? Is he using that? But we could also take it in a little different direction because we use that phrase all the time. I'm in trouble, you're in trouble. It's the same kind of trouble, we're in the same boat. Is Jesus in your boat? Whatever the problem is this morning, the great concern, the pressing worry, the deep frustration, the thing that ensnangles you. Is Jesus in that with you? Because if you let him, Jesus chooses to get into the boat. He gets into the boat, and it says there in that he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. They pushed off a little bit from the land, and that's something Jesus several times in the scriptures invites his disciples to do. It's not that you need to get away from people completely far from the madding crowd forever. We're not called to be monks. But there are moments when he asks us to pull away a little bit from everybody else. 
so that we can know him a little bit better, especially if he's getting into our boat. It's good to pull away a little bit and work on the nets with Jesus. Verse 4, he stopped speaking. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Do you want anything to change? I asked you at the beginning how things were going. Do you want anything to change? Is there anything you want to disentangle this morning? Is there anything you would like to get loose from and feel more free? Because this is where it starts. Launch out, let down your neck. It's not gonna get better without me doing something. I'm going to have to take the action. I'm going to have to launch at some point. I'm going to have to push off and take the next step. And the next step is let down your net, the thing that entangles us. Hebrews 12.1, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. There comes a point for putting it down, which is different from rolling my eyes, gritting my teeth. Here we go. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to let down my net. And then we come to verse 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. There are moments when life changes. After this, it will never be the same. You know these moments. You've had some of them. Some of them many of us share. The moment you get married, the moment you have children, the moment you graduate, there are things that are moments, but each of us has our own that we know this was the turning point. It was never the same after this. For Peter, this is the turning point. Everything comes from what he's fixing to do right now. And because Peter has gone on through the centuries to impact an awful lot of people, eternity changes in the next moment. What Peter does decides eternity not only for himself, but for countless other people. And I think each of us has moments like this where we're changing or we're not changing and we're doing it for ourselves and for so many more people than we will ever imagine. There are three things that Peter does in this moment that change everything. And number one is he's exhausted and he still obeys. You understand, Peter was not glad to see Jesus coming. Hey, the preacher's here. Let's, let's go out in the boat and listen to what he has to say. Peter just worked all night, and it wasn't a good night, and it didn't go well, and he worked very hard, and it was dark and stinky and rough and exhausting, and he has absolutely nothing to show for it. He is worn out to 
the bone, and he really doesn't understand why a guy who's actually a carpenter rather than a fisherman is trying to tell him how to fish. Why don't you let your net down? Why don't you jump in the lake here? <laughs> I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this. I don't see any point to doing this. But for your sake, I will do this. He is exhausted. He doesn't get the point. He sees no reason for it. And he chooses to obey. And everything changes. Verse 6. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. Things change when I obey. The moment I obey, things begin to change. My eyes are open. My heart is humbled. It's overwhelming. It's coming. The blessing. The change. You ever see Joe versus the volcano in old Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie? You've seen it. Remember, there's a moment he's on the raft out on the ocean, and the moon comes up and up and up, and the entire sky is filled with the moon. And out on a raft in the middle of the ocean, he falls to his knees, and he says, forgive me. I forgot how big you are. How long has it been since you realized how big God is? The God we asked to bless our food before we eat our hot dog, the God we asked to help us sleep good before we go to sleep at night, the God who we say, bless him, help him have a good day. This is a God who parts oceans. This is a God who flung stars across the universe. This is a God who used to raise dead people back to life again. How long has it been since you were stunned at how big your God is? How long has it been since you obeyed? He falls to his knees and he says, verse 8, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. When he's exhausted, he obeys. When he is utterly overwhelmed, he worships. Is that what you do when you're overwhelmed? It could be a good overwhelming or a bad overwhelming. I never knew it could be this good. I never knew it could be this bad. It doesn't much matter what overwhelms you. When you're overwhelmed, do you worship? Worship comes from the word worth. It is to recognize the worth of someone or something. When we worship God, we recognize how big he is, how great he is, how good he is. Simon just got a front row seat for it, and he's on his knees. He's exhausted, and he's on his knees saying, depart from me. I see who you are, and whenever I see who God is, I have a tendency to see who I am. I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. Psalm 46.10 says, 
be still and know that I am God. Which is different from be still and know that everything's going to work out okay. Be still. I'm going to calm things down here in a minute. Be still. It'll work out. Be still and know that I am God. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. When I obey, when I worship, peace comes. There's a peace that comes with knowing I did what the Lord told me to do. I know who my God is. This leads to peace. And with the peace comes a sense of, what does the Lord want me to do? What is my purpose? What is my place? It comes with the obedience and the worship. And it is astonishing. Everyone around was astonished at the blessing in Peter's life. How long has it been since your life astonished anybody? How long has it been since people saw what God was doing in your life and said, what on earth? What is with you? What do you do? What do you believe? Where are you coming from? People were astonished at what they saw in this man's circumstances. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. When blessed, they followed. It would make more sense, wouldn't it, if there were no fish and Jesus came to them and said, you know, the fishing thing's really not working out for you anyway. Why don't you follow me? Come with me. You're not losing anything. Come on. Isn't it interesting that Jesus blessed them with the greatest catch of all time? before asking them to leave fishing. Now that you're overwhelmingly successful, now that everybody on the lake is gonna to wanna to hire you to do their fishing, now that you've made a profit that'll put your five kids through college if you want to, now that you're really humming along on this thing, why don't you leave it? We're gonna go for a walk and head for a crucifixion. Oh, such a deal. Are you following Jesus even when he's blessing you? We tend to assume if Jesus is blessing me, I must be doing what I'm supposed to do. As we sang a moment ago, he loves you. His grace knows no measure. God is going to bless you whether you follow him or not. The fact that your life is deeply blessed, the fact that you're enjoying things pretty good right now, actually, does not mean you're following Jesus. If I follow Jesus, he will bless me, but the fact that I'm blessed does not mean I'm following Jesus. 
When exhausted, he obeyed. When overwhelmed, he worshiped. When blessed, he followed. And everything changed. The world changed. This is the beginning of the gospel. Do you realize Jesus talked to all those people out on the lake that day? And being Jesus, he was probably pretty eloquent. He probably said extraordinary things that revealed the light and the truth and the kingdom of God and made him come alive and be so real to those people who were so hungry for word. Jesus probably gave one of the all great time great talks and not a word of it is recorded. We don't know a single thing that Jesus said that day except follow me. All we know about that day is that they followed Jesus. All those people around us every day who yearn, who burn, who want that word of the Lord, they're not going to hear the Lord. They're going to see whether you follow or not. That's all anybody's ever going to remember. That's the only way anybody ever finds Jesus is because somebody else followed Jesus. Three years. This is the moment. Everything changes. And three years go by. Three years of astonishing miracles, incredible sermons and teachings, insights, relationships, extraordinary people that Jesus met and interacted with, and comes finally the garden and the arrest and the beatings and the crucifixion. And everything Peter and the rest of them followed him for is in ashes, seemingly. John chapter 21. See if anything sounds familiar. A few days after Jesus' death, Simon Peter said to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. John 21 verse 3. They said to him, we are going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish, and really appreciating the fact that Peter left them to do that by themselves. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. In verse 18, Jesus is talking to Peter and says, Assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will guard you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, Follow me. 
Everything old is new again. In my favorite book, Friendly Persuasion, there's a scene. It's about a family out on the farm, and the day comes to a close. It's one of those kind of late Saturday afternoon moments when you're finishing up the chores and the projects and everything and getting ready to watch the game or go out to dinner or have some folks over or something. But you're kind of finishing those last cleanup things, and the husband and the wife kind of get to looking at the sunset, and they stop for a moment, and there's a breeze coming through the trees. And it's so beautiful, the sun going down, and it's just quiet. You can hear the birds. And after a minute, the wife says to the husband, you know, the living, beating heart the mind can hardly get its eye handle on death. It's hard to know how we prepare for that when it's so wonderful to be alive. How do you prepare for what's coming? And after a moment, her husband picks up his broom and goes back to sweeping. This is preparing, he says. Whatever you're doing right now, getting ready for school to start, going back to work in the morning, sitting down to lunch with your friends this afternoon, planning your vacation for next year already, you're here. This matters. Any moment comes the moment that will change everything. Not just for you, for more people than you could ever imagine. I know that a moment like that is coming for you because you're still here. And if you're here, there's something left for you to do. There is an obedience. There is a worship. There is a following that must come. This is the moment that prepares you for all of eternity. This, right now. This matters. What you choose changes everything. This is preparing. Father, we kind of get to humming along. It's so day in and so day out and another Christmas and another year goes by and it's vacation time and it just kind of all rolls together and it's gone. And we're not quite sure when we turned gray or gained weight. We're not quite sure how we wound up in this job for 20 years. It goes by so quick and we get so used to it going by that we just kind of roll along. We pray, Father, that you would forgive us for taking you for granted, for feeling like obedience only mattered when it, we felt like it, for worshiping when we felt like it, for following only as far as the next comfort stop. Holy God, we want the lives you have given us to matter. We want to feel a sense of purpose and a sense of accomplishing what you have given us to do.
And we realize it may not look like that in the moment. But we pray for grace to live this moment, to prepare for things to come, to abide in you, to follow you. Work in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Change whatever you must change. Please, please disentangle us from our nets. We want to be free and we want to be hopeful and we want to be at peace and not afraid because we know who you are and we are obeying you and we are following you. Change our lives and in some way, please use what you are doing in us, in our boat, to challenge and inspire and astonish and inform other people who Jesus is and of the eternal life waiting for them. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your truth. Change us in whatever way you have to change us this day, we ask. For your grace for that. Help us to prepare, we pray in Jesus' name. something between you and the Lord. But if you find that a little bit of intimidating, it's okay. We've been there. Sitting very close to you is somebody who would listen, somebody who would pray with you, who would pray for you in this moment. I'll be down here and I'd be happy to do that. But don't leave here the way you came in. This matters. There are things to prepare for, and this is the moment the preparing begins. Don't leave here the way you came.